Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Some of you'll know that, um, lots of you know that for the last, well, over two years now, I've been chugging through Isaiah, done over 50 talks, I think, on a Tuesday morning from the book of Isaiah, and uh, we haven't been in there for a while, but we're not going to give up till we get to the end of this wonderful book, and so today we're up to Isaiah 51, and um, just sat there thinking, I hope this doesn't come over as a bit of a shouty Andy rant, because there's some quite hard things in Isaiah 51. And I want the Holy Spirit not to be, uh, uh, you know, me pointing the finger at you. Because when you point the finger at others, five fingers point back at you, don't they? And uh, I want the Holy Spirit to be convicting us all. So let's just pray. Four fingers pointing back at you, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I might, I might be very embarrassed about my little finger, extra little finger. You've all humiliated me. Let's just pray. Oh God, we look to you, Lord. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray as we look into your word this morning, it'll cut to the heart. You'll speak to us, change us, shape us. Please, Lord, even these few minutes as we we humbly come to your Bible, will you change us? Amen. Um, Isaiah 51 has one of the most exciting verses in the Bible. And there used to be a chorus we'd sing over and over again. When I first got saved. But listen to this for a wonderful verse. Isaiah prophesying to three horizons. Isaiah 51 verse 11. The ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. And Isaiah's prophesying to this people, to three horizons. He's speaking to a people who are living in as, as slaves in exile, looking forward to a time when they'll be back in Jerusalem. Uh, this morning I was listening to uh, something uh, on telly. I was watching it on telly. And it was a wonderful story about a Muslim guy who, on his pilgrimage to Mecca for the Hajj, had had a dream of Jesus and got saved. It was fantastic. And he said 80% of Muslims around that community are getting saved through dreams. The Lord's just breaking into the Muslim world. Many of the places where the missionaries aren't, the Holy Spirit is. And uh, this guy is just a fantastic testament. But, but once in a lifetime, Muslims will commit themselves to going to Mecca. For Jews, it was not once in a lifetime. It was three times a year they were encouraged to go on pilgrimage. Um, and... Uh, the Feast of the, of the Weeks, the Feast of the Tabernacles, and the Passover. And these weren't just, you know, Israelites knew how to party. So these were families, communities, singing worship songs, but eating and drinking and celebrating together. Um, you know, old people would look back to the great days of pilgrimage. Young people would celebrate uh, cross-generationally with the older people. And just a beautiful time of community. And yet, for these Israelites, that was no more. Because they were in Babylon, Babylonia, in, in slavery. And how much they must have longed to return to Zion on pilgrimage. Some of them had uh, uh, they'd been there so long, they'd never even experienced it. But Isaiah brings a kind of revival promise. To this nation that seems to be in despair that a day will come when the ransomed of the Lord will return to Zion with singing and all this sorrow and mourning will 
flee away and gladness and joy will overtake them. Do you like the sound of it? But he also promises to, uh, pro- prophesies to a, a second horizon. The horizon of heaven. Zion was always and is always in, pic- in the scriptures a picture of heaven. And uh, that day when sorrow and mourning will flee away for all eternity and be overtaken by gladness and joy. If you know Jesus, you're going to experience it. Those kids in Lostock School today who respond to the gospel, no matter what rubbish they go through in their life, there'll be a day when sorrow and mourning flee away and gladness and joy overtake them. There are, There is sorrow and mourning in this life, but there is a day that we're looking forward to. A day we fix our eyes on when gladness and joy will overtake us for all eternity. Do you believe it? It's true, people. And I'm going to be there, not because I deserve to, because I've accepted Christ. And he's, he's promised me that, and he keeps his promises. Some are going through sorrow and mourning in this room, absolutely inevitably. Some of you are having a great day, but some are going through sorrow and mourning, but... In the midst of the stuff you're going through, there's this incredible promise to keep us going of that day when we'll enter Zion for all eternity. But he's also prophesying to a a third horizon. Prophesying to God's people who even in Babylon, even in exile where things around them seem so dark, can experience more of his presence and power. Before they see the full measure of the revival promises, going back to Israel, if you like, before they get to heaven for all eternity, that they can experience more of him here. And Isaiah goes on to explain how that may happen. Verses 1 to 10. Let me just read these. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek to the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut, to the quarry from which you were hewn, Look to Abraham, your father, and to save Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was but one, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He'll make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. The law will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment. Its inhabitants will die like flies, but my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Aren't they wonderful scriptures? Wonderful promises of what's to come. Some there in Babylon had lost all hope. They had no personal memory of Jerusalem. They'd never seen it. They'd never experienced it. I'm sure many of them had got disappointed with these shouty prophets who promised all this breakthrough to come. And and they just... See, they just lost the plot. They just become sad and disappointed. They were still the people of God, but they were never going to change a nation. They were never going to see the breakthrough in their lives and through them in the nation. Yet there were some who weren't like that. There were some who, even in the face of all the despair in front of them, all the discouragement, they were faithful to God. People who the Bible describes like this. 
verse 1. Those who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. It's a strong word, that pursue, isn't it? It means chase continually, chase down. It's a, it's an energetic word. It's a, it's a, it's a big word. We're going to pursue righteousness and seek the Lord. We believe in the realities of his promises. We believe God's a God who doesn't lie. We believe his presence is in our lives, his, his breakthrough and eternal life are to come. I want to be that person, don't you? Even if all around me seems hard work and despair, I want to be the person who pursues righteousness and seeks the Lord. Saturday morning, um, I was sat in bed. To be honest, feeling a bit discouraged, a bit bothered by and now. And you've got to be very careful. Again, like, you know, when you point the finger, four fingers point at you. But I was bothered by some easy believism I was seeing, some enthusiastic dualism where, you know, Christians call themselves Christians, but they live a completely different way. And it was bothering me. And I, so half past seven, I'm, and Peter Foles, who's just an amazing man of God, who the, the Springvale Leather provides us with our leather settees around there and supports the message in lots of ways. But he texted me at 20 to, 10 to 8 on Saturday morning. And he's never done this before. And he said this, the Bible encourages us to hunger and thirst for righteousness for we will be filled. That means we have to want it. And uh, I was like, wow, that's a word from the Lord. The Bible encourages us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to pursue righteousness. We live in a generation, don't we, that's instant gratification, thrill of the fill. We want to come forward at a meeting to be filled. We want to experience the filling. But the Bible says, pursue righteousness. It says, hunger and thirst for righteousness and you'll be filled. There is a filling. It doesn't come in a meeting. It comes from those who pursue righteousness, who hunger and thirst for the things of God. Don't you want it? Well, yes, some of you do, some of you don't. To be honest, it's always the way, isn't it? Some of us do, we say, oh yes we do, but we just, we, we make a lie of that by the way we live. And as I say, I'm not pointing the finger at you, Holy Spirit convict me. So I'm a man who can greater measure hungers and thirsts for what's right and pursues what's right. See, I, I hate, I mean I love the look of that movie that we're going to have here, but I hate so many Hollywood movies. You know, you're watching a 12A Hollywood movie and the people get together, and on the same day they get together, almost always they have sex that night, don't they? Because that's the generation we live in. Thrill of the fill. Instant gratification. There's no waiting. There's no nurturing. There's none of that beautiful thing of being committed to one person in a married relationship for my whole life and discovering what sex is all about. We've just got to have this shadow, shallow little version of it. And God's got so much, so much bigger and better for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we're immersed in the culture. We've got to be different people. We've got to be a people who pursue what's right. Because we want to see the Lord. I told you it'd be shouting. I don't want people who are coming down the front for the fill, filling of the Spirit whose lives don't line up with it. Because ev- there's every possibility. It'll just be the flesh anyway. You feed him. I love that verse that we've been talking about a lot during our, our 21 days of fasting. The Lord rewards those 
earnestly seek after him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. There is a reward. There's a reward. It's a full life. It's a life that's full and centered and right. It's a life of overflow. Don't you want that life? First and foremost, you see, we're not called to missions and visions and souls. And don't you need to remind a bloke like me that all the time. We're called to holiness of life that flows from a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what you're called to. Everything else will spill out of that. Holiness of life that flows from a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, there's, there's this new takeout that's open in Cheadle called Chickadees. And it's like a, a Nando's wannabe. Sort of lame version of Nando's, peri-peri chicken. And I went in for the first time. And um, I ordered me, me, me a slightly disappointing version of Nando's. And the, the nice Asian man behind the counter said, oh, I said, how's business? He said, oh, it's okay. He said, not many Asians, though. I said, oh, why'd you say that? He said, oh, it's all halal, the food, and we thought we haven't had many Asians. And then he said, I'm a Muslim, you know. I didn't ask him. He said, I'm a Muslim. And I, uh, I've only ever slept with my wife. I saved myself for my wife, and I don't get drunk. I'm not like all these white people around here. And he gave me this big list of all these rules he lives by. I mean, I thought I was challenged in a way. How bold are you, mate? I didn't say, tell me about Islam. He just said, here's the way I live. I live a righteous life. And of course, he's believing by doing that, that he can earn his way to heaven. Well, praise God, we've not got to do that. Everything we do is in response. But the, the other extreme from that Muslim man who believes he's got to earn his way to heaven by all these rules, living by all these rules, is the easy believism. The cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer called it. And I feel like I want to say to you today, to the movement today, if you're struggling with sin today, deal with it. Pursue righteousness. Get in some accountable relationships. Repent of your sin. We cannot afford to have sin in the camp at a time like this that's not brought out into the open, that's not dealt with, not repented. I mean, clearly we all sin but the thing that cripples a ministry like the message is persistent, deliberate, unrepented sin. And honestly, if we believe we can reach 200,000 disciples and live with unconfessed, persistent sin, we're having a laugh. And I believe that's what God was saying to me on Saturday morning in bed as I was tossing and turning and worrying about this, this generation, actually, not just message trust. Our missions team may be able to get hands in the air, but they'll never see repentant teenagers who themselves want to pursue righteousness and seek the Lord. I mean, Simon Sullivan's talk on whenever it was, Thursday, Thursday, wasn't it? Was just so nails. We're all role models. Every one of us in this room, we're role models. We don't produce what we teach. We produce what we live. And if we want a flim-flam, easy-believing, satiated and sex generation, let's live like that. But if we want a set-apart, godly, full generation that's ready to change a nation, we better live like that, don't you think? We're all role models. I want role models who produce role models. I want to be a role model who produces role models. And I want, God help me. We just launched, uh, you might know, an evangelist group. Just a bunch of 12 guys who want to press into God together. Not just in terms of what gospel we preach. That is mighty important. 
Because the right gospel tends to produce the right kind of disciples. You know, if we do, if we are able to preach repentance and righteousness and seeking the Lord and heaven and hell, yes, there's every chance we'll get young people who, who don't want to be continually in sin and realize the cost. If we preach the cross, there's a, there's a every chance people will be horrified that Jesus had to go through that for my sins. How could I ever persistently sin when Jesus has gone through so much for me? Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to evangelists in this ministry and multiplying out because the vision of this evangelist group is not just that I'll have 12 guys around me, but that, that Gavin Calver potentially have 12 guys around him and Carl Beach and, and others evangelists around the nation. And those 12 within a year will be looking for their 12. So my 12. So even if you're not in the evangelist group right now and your primary gifting is evangelism within the message, within the next year, you will be. Because we're going to multiply this out here and around the nation. I don't know how that makes you feel. It makes me feel like if we can just pursue righteousness and seek the Lord, maybe we could reach 200,000 souls. Maybe we could see 200,000 disciples, not through our efforts. And yesterday, the freshest recruit is Chip Kendall. Chip K came in to see me yesterday and he said, Andy, I'm desperate to get in the schools. Please can I serve this mission? Please can my band come in and do some of these schools missions? And uh, can I be part of this evangelist group? I love that, don't you? Because you're seeing a guy. I know he's American. He doesn't sound holy, but. (laughs) (laughs) He's the guy who's set apart for the gospel. And when I set up this little group, I thought, oh, I want to talk about prayer. You know, first meeting. I want to talk about prayer. And I want to talk about, um, you know, being prayer being first and foremost. And I thought there's those great verses in 1 Timothy 2, which say. 1 Timothy 2 says this, um, I urge first of all that requests, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving may be made for everyone. And I was going to do this thing, evangelist, first of all. First of all, we've got to be praying people, haven't we? We've got to be praying and interceding. We can't expect to see supernatural fruit, no matter how cool our preaches and how great our videos are. But by, by, but by mistake, rather than turn to 1 Timothy 2, I turn to... 2 Timothy 2, and I'm reading this, I thought, I, seen what, I didn't think that was what 1 Timothy 2 said. You know, have you ever done that in the Bible? And of course, it's 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2 says this. Remember, my vision for these evangelist group is that I'll have a bunch of guys around me, and then within a year, they'll have a bunch of guys around. We'll see true multiplication, sharpening each other in character and gifting and what the gospel is. And... Um, so this is the verse then that I read, thinking I was reading 1 Timothy 2. I'm like, I'm not knowing that. This is Paul talking, right? And please get me right. I am no Paul, right? So I'm not trying to compare myself to Paul. I'm just trying to say the exciting business of bringing on sons in the faith, who bring on grandsons in the faith, who multiply it out. Listen to this. This is Paul to Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say... In the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to preach. Did you uh, hear that? The three generations. How on earth can one guy and a little bunch of disciples, how can they change the world? How can there be two billion followers of Christ 2,000 years later? Because they entrusted it to faithful witnesses. They passed it on. Do you understand? We want faithful men. 
They will pursue righteousness, seek the Lord, know what the gospel is, and put it lamp on a stand, stick it up there. So we, we receive a, a bunch of repentant, fired up, passionate, wacky young people who go out and change the nation. And listen to this, what Paul goes on to say to Timothy. Endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It's about time we started acting like soldiers. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Who's our commanding officer? Who's our commanding officer? He wants to please Jesus, our commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. We don't live by rules. We don't get to heaven through rules. I'm not like that Muslim guy. But if I don't obey the rules in this book, I can never be the fruitful set apart. I might grind my way miserably to heaven. I'm never going to take many people with me. I'm never going to live the way God wanted me to. We're not going to see the revival in our generation. We can have all the promises, all the prophecies in the world. But we have to line up our lives with those prophecies. And the bigger the prophecies get, and man, they're getting big at the moment, aren't they? The Lord's spoken. The bigger lives we have to live in one sense. To line up with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't earn our way to salvation. It's just a response that, wow, God, that you would want a set apart movement called a message that pursues righteousness and seeks the Lord. We believe God's promised us great victories here on earth. We know he wins the ultimate battle once and for all. Can I say that again? We believe God's promised us great victories here on earth. We know he wins the ultimate battle once and for all. Isn't it time to start living like soldiers? Not getting involved in civilian affairs like everyone else does, but being set apart for this cause of Christ. Otherwise, we just haven't understood the cross. However, I do see people in this room, lots of you, who get the cross, who pursue righteousness, who get filled. It's a beautiful thing. And with it comes beautiful promises. I mean, you know the promises that are over the message. But look at these. Tell me these aren't for us. These special words. You know, our, our big promise over the message, as you know, is streams in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. And we have something called Eden, who the Lord has specifically promised we're going to see a land inherited. The righteous of that cause is going to shine if we'll just line up our lives. Well, listen to this for a beautiful verse for people who, listen, the Lord will surely comfort Zion. We'll look with compassion on her ruins. He'll make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Don't you think that's a lovely promise from the Lord? The kingdom can break in. It's a promise to come, but it's a promise for these miserable estates right now. These lost estates through, through the work of Eden. God's people living, sold out for him. So there's that promise for the community transformation stuff, for the prisons work, the wasteland, the deserts. There's that present promise over Eden as the bus goes out. As we, as we go into tough schools, there's that promise these desert wasteland lives will bloom. But there's also the big promise. There's the, the bigger promise. Listen to this promise from the Lord, what can happen if people are just pursue righteousness and seek him. 
listen, hear me. My justice, is verse 4, my justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation's on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look to the earth belief. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out, but its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Hear me, you who know what's right. You people who have my law in your hearts. Hear the Lord. And when we hear promises like that, we should just be like, do it, Lord. Do it swiftly, Lord. And that's what Isaiah says, isn't it? He finishes up by saying this, this little passage. Verse 9, awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old. Do you want that? Do you want to see a move of the Spirit in our generation like we've seen in this nation in the past and nations around the world are seeing? Do you want to see the Lord awake? Move and you want to see the arm of the Lord release that brings joy and comfort, brings eternal life, brings breakthrough, things change, the kingdom coming. Do you want to see that? Well, you know what the Lord's saying. The Lord's saying, if you do, pursue righteousness, get filled, seek Him. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.